warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our programme. Episode 10 of the Real Britannia podcast with Scott and Tony, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Morning. Good morning. It certainly seems to be getting a bit more professional now. We're trying. We're, <laughs> We're ten in now. Well, the, the last episode we didn't have to record three times. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking when I was editing the, the Doctor No one this weekend, and I put it out um, yesterday, at the point of recording now, there was a story that you didn't... Well, you did say when we recorded the first attempt at the Doctor No episode, but we didn't mention it on the episode that went out on the version that was broadcast. I think we were just so desperate not to fuck up again. We I just completely we, forgot. We it just rattled through it, didn't we? Yeah. What Scott's going on about, I think <laughs> this is what is right. I watched Doctor No um, on an iffy site. Well, it was YouTube. Wasn't it? No, it wasn't. Oh, it, oh, it was no, iffy. It was okay. iffy. Very iffy. Yeah. Iffy to the point, I didn't realise until it started playing, it mm. was in Dutch. <laughs> so, And like a, <laughs> like a trooper, I carried on the whole way through in Dutch. No subtitles? No subtitles. Well, yeah, there was subtitles in Dutch. Brilliant. Do you speak Dutch? No. I ain't got a fucking Ex- clue. Excellent. Tulips, clogs. That's all you know. Gold Johnny Boy's out. Yeah. Not Johnny Boy's out. In the Holland back. Yeah. That's about as much as I know. About Holland. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Never even been. Um, so you watched like a, a two hour movie. Yeah, in Dutch. In Dutch. All of it in Dutch. But luckily you'd seen Doctor No previously. Luckily I had, and I sort of made out in bits and pieces, yeah. Uh, underneath the mango tree doesn't feature it in the Dutch. That's sung in English, is it? No, no. It's not sung at all. There's no sound. Just really? birds chirping, yeah. So the oh, Dutch version have of it—that would be quite funny to find that site yeah. and have a little look. You see him walking along. They cut out all the bits you see of him singing. Yeah, but they still meet on the beach, and it's just birds chirping. Fantastic. Yeah, um, I forgot to mention that last time. I was, so I was going through the the Doctor No episode, and like we didn't mention it. We didn't mention you actually watched in bloody Dutch. Yeah. So um, it was an intriguing evening. <laughs> okay, my choice tonight is. From 1960. I thought it was a 50s film, but it's not. It's right at the tail end of the 50s, the beginning of the 60s. It's 1960. It's The League of Gentlemen. Let's play the trailer. We'll be back after this. They were all ex-army officers. But beyond that, they had only two things in common. A guilty past and a hopeless future. They had nothing to lose by joining The League of Gentlemen. Their leader had a plan which staggered their imaginations and sounded in each one of them 
a call to high adventure. Think of it as a full-scale military operation. What chance has a bunch of ordinary civilians got against a trained, armed, and disciplined military unit? You are a soldier, man. You ought to know. <laughs> look like no church magazine to me, Father. Look more like the police, Father. Got it straight now, haven't you? Midnight tomorrow, London Airport. Drive carefully. Look, I've got a bit of bad news for you, I'm afraid. I guess the, the new air deck commander's on his way down for a surprise visit. Yes. No, no, on his way. against a target that is both surprised and defenseless. Gentlemen, released in the UK on the 5th of April 1960, directed by Basil Dearden, second movie from Baz that we've reviewed so far, starring Jack Hawkins, Nigel Patrick, Roger Livesey, Brian Forbes, Richard Attenborough, Terence Alexander, Norman Bird. There are some very famous faces in this. My favourite, Doris Hare. Doris Hare. Doris Hare. We will talk about Doris a little bit later on. In the meantime, let's have the synopsis, please, mate. The synopsis is follows. Involuntary retired Colonel Hyde recruits seven other dissatisfied ex-servicemen for a special project. Each of the men has a skeleton in the cupboard, is short of money, and is a service-trained expert in his field. The job is a bank robbery, and military discipline and planning are imposed by Hyde and second-in-command race on the team, although civilian, irrita- civilian irritations do start getting in the way. That sums it up. Yes, you a couple of cock-ups in it. That's all right. I'll edit them out. There we go. <laughs> first time watch for you? Very, yes. Very yeah. much a first time watch. Instant reaction. Loved it, hated it. Instant reaction. I wasn't actually sure where it was going. Um, I thought it was going to be a sort of spy movie. The way he comes out. you say that? That's what I was going to mention it right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah he comes on. out of the manhole cover. I thought he was going to be like Carry On Spying and some that sort of sort of a film. For those that haven't seen it, is um, Jack Hawkins the opening credits, isn't it? He's, yeah. Um, he he comes out of a manhole cover in a full dinner jacket, dinner, jacket, dinner yeah. suit. Yeah. Um, he's then, a gentleman. He is a gentleman. He gets into his Rolls Royce and drives away. But then we find out later why he's actually going through the sewers and the tunnels. 
with regards to the robbery. So at first you thought it was some sort of like spy spoof or something like that. Yeah. Because you, all you knew was the title, and just did you have a look, brief look on IMDb before you no. watched it or anything? You no. just, just basically, I gave you the film last week and said, "Watch that." Yeah, yeah. And and sort of final reaction after watching an hour and a half of this movie, very much enjoyed it. You loved it, yeah, very, very I much. I thought so. you would. I thought you would. It had had Tony written all over it. This movie, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so the movie starts as we say with Stanley Baker. Coming out of this manhole cover, dressed in a full tuxedo, jumps in a Rolls Royce, drives away, and then we next see him cutting up, I think it's £50 notes. Yeah, was uh, it £5 notes? Were they fivers? Couldn't quite tell, because I was wondering if it, was, if it was a fiver, it would have been the big old white fivers back then. Mm. Um, cutting up these notes, popping them into a novel called, is it The Golden Fleece? That's it. And posting off half a dozen of these to various different addresses. And it's there we find out that the recipients of these books that have got the half a fiver in them been invited to a meal for the corporate corporate um, removals company. Cooperative removals That's company, cooperative. and they will retrieve the other half of the fiver or the fifty pound note. Ask them to read the book before they arrive, and more will be revealed before they get to the. It's the Cafe Royale, I think they go to on Regent Street. Before they get there, we meet the League of Gentlemen. We meet the guys. They're going to form the game. I'm going to run through them with you, all right? Yes. You've got IMDB there just to give you an idea of names and things like that. You ready, mate? Okay, the first one we meet is Nigel Patrick, who plays Rafe. Yeah. Right, second in command, turns out to be. Um, I don't know about you, but you get this impression that he's a bit of a gambler, a boozer. Sleeping with a croupier. Was she a croupier? I think she was, yeah. Right. She was a croupier. Okay. And she's sort of like riding on his coattails. When he has money, she's always with him. But then when he's down on his luck, she... Goes off to France. Goes off to the south of France, yeah. He's got this extravagant lifestyle that he can't afford. Can't pay the rent. So when this thing pops through the door with the offer of a chance to make money, he's obviously going to jump at it, yeah? Yeah. Okay. The next person we meet in the League of Gentlemen is Terence Alexander, who plays Rupert... Something Smith, wasn't it? Um, Terence Alexander. Do you recognise him? That's a big sigh. <laughs> uh, okay, picture Bergerac. Him. You got it. He was Bergerac. Bergerac's father-in-law? Yeah, Bergerac. Yeah. Did you used to watch it? I've watched a few. So, so yeah, yeah, so you do recognise him. Terence yeah. Alexander... Uh, Rupert Smith is married to Nanette Newman. Now, Nanette Newman is a bitch in this film. Yes. Nanette Newman, um, there's definitely, there's no love in this marriage. You know, you get the impression that the war finished, whatever it was, 15 years previously. He's come back from the war. She's moved on with her life, but she still has to be married to him. But she's carrying on doing what she's doing. And eventually she gets caught in bed with another man later on in the movie. Anyway, um, what did you think of the Nanette Newman character? She was absolutely bloody horrible, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't stand her. Yeah. She was like um, the lady in Brief Encounters at the um, train station that wouldn't shut up. Oh, right. So you... you <laughs> yeah, that's... Another little annoying character in this yeah. one. Yeah. And I'm glad that she was over and done with very quickly. Yeah. Nanette Newman... Um, is married or was married to Brian Forbes, who's also in this film, who plays Martin, Martin Portill. Mm. 
and they were married for years famous sort of like British acting couple you know um, throughout the years and, and then Ed Newman went on to do the fairy liquid adverts in the 80s that's what she was famous for green, yeah she, that's what she eventually became famous but she was a massive well not massive but you know quite a major British leading lady yeah. throughout the 60s and Brian Forbes her husband is in this he wrote the screenplay and went on to direct a load of other famous British movies as well. The next person we meet is the Reverend, played by Roger Livesey. I've heard the name Roger Livesey. Mm, probably more famous than things like the Powell and Pressburger movies that he was in, which we haven't covered yet, which I'm going to have to introduce to you. Lots and lots of stuff in the 40s, the 50s, mm. and into the 60s here. What did you think of Roger Livesey, mate, as the Reverend, as the character? <sighs> Do you know what? You didn't come across as a reverend at the start of it. Well, he's not, is he? No, he's thing. just a cover-up, isn't he? He's it, a con man. Find. Yeah. And that's obvious because he's got a suitcase full of dirty magazines. Yeah. <laughs> or if, if he is a reverend, he's a very naughty reverend, you know. Um, and we find out he's a flasher in Tunbridge. <laughs> now, this is the thing. The, the, as you said in the synopsis, they've all got skeletons in their closet. And there's a couple of major ones coming up in a second. Mm. There's a lot in this film... Now, bearing in mind, this is 1960, we're going back a while, there's a lot to offend a lot of people in this film. Mm. We're, we're going to touch on quite a few of the um, the more jarring points in a moment, all right? Oliver Reed being one of them, okay? So, yeah, we find out this guy's been exposing himself. Was it Tunbridge Wells? Did you is see it? it? I think it is Wells, Tunbridge yeah. Wells. Exposing himself in Tunbridge Wells. Um, the very British pastime. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tunbridge Wells. It's on his CV. Don't forget uh, rural Tunbridge Wells yeah. for everybody. <laughs> so, Roger Livesey, constantly on the hoof, you know, the police are knocking on the door looking for him. So, he, he leads this life on the run, basically. So, again, when he gets invited to sort of, you know, make a bit of money with the rest of the guys, he's not going to turn it down, is he? No. The next one we meet is Brian Forbes. The impression I got from the Brian Forbes character when we first meet him, he pulls up in a taxi, looks like four or five o'clock in the morning, he's been to the casino all night or clubbing or whatever, he's got this young bird in tow, gives her a kiss, packs her off in the taxi, sends her home. Mm. Goes into his lovely little muse house in the middle of central London, and what seems to be an older woman. Yeah. Yeah? But then again, it's always deceiving, isn't it? Because back then, I think women... Did look a little bit older in certain cases, didn't they? And that poor woman is probably only about 40. Yeah. But she does look a lot older than that, bless her. And I got the impression that he was being sort of kept as a toy boy. Hmm. She was quite rich. That wasn't his flat. That was her place. He was just using her money-wise, whatever, and still going off gallivanting, doing what he was doing. Like a con man would. Again, another con man. We haven't sort of been revealed too much that these guys have got military backgrounds yet. No. At the moment, we know they're all... Something's going on in their lives that they want to change, or... In fact, we don't know at all they're all... We don't, do we? Military. I think we may have seen an envelope that's addressed to the sergeant or something. It's got, like, a rank on there or something. I'm not too sure. Okay. Next up, Richard Attenborough. Famous, famous British actor and director. You know Dickie Attenborough. Yeah. Plays the, the role of a spiv very well. Yes, Brighton Rock in particular, which we haven't watched. No. What would you know him most famously for? Oh, bloody hell. Bearing in mind your age, I'm going to say Jurassic Park. 
No, I don't watch Jurassic Park. You don't watch Jurassic no, Park? Okay. <laughs> oh, in that case, then perhaps not. But, you know, he directed Gandhi and Chaplin and Bridge Too Far. Oh, what a lovely war, which yeah. we're going to be covering very soon, hopefully. Richard Attenborough, I think, along with sort of John Mills. Um, probably The Great Escape. Yes, that probably is for you. Yeah, yeah. The Great Escape would probably... Um... I always put him and Johnny Mills together as, you know, the two... Similar age, similar movies, similar careers for many, many years, right through from young men up to, you know, almost till the day they died, they were acting and performing, bless them, you know. And and, and that is one of the major faces of, of British cinema, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and in this particular film, he's working in a garage and he's got like a sideline rigging one-armed bandits yep. for 25 quid so they don't pay out or, you know very restrictive payments and stuff like that but he's got big dreams you know the guy that he's working for fiddling these one-armed bandits has got a Rolls Royce and a lovely Dolly Bird in tow and that's, and that's what he wants that's the life yeah you could afford a down payment exactly <laughs> so you know he's got aspirations but he's not going to be able to do it doing what he's doing no the next one is probably one of the most interesting characters and you probably haven't realised it this is very subtle what they do with this guy Kieran Moore who plays Stevens mm-hmm. first see him in a gym and this shady character comes up and he appears to be blackmailing him. Yeah. And if you read between the lines and the language and the way they're talking, what it turns out that Kieran Moore is actually a homosexual. Right, okay. I don't think you would have picked it up, I'm not too sure. No. It's just the way there's a couple of lines that are said. And then when Kieran Moore goes to the back of the gym and starts giving Dinsdale Landon the massage. To be honest, when that happened, I thought, I'm very surprised they mm. did that anyway, because that would have been seen quite homosexual back then. Well, it's a sports massage. They're in the gym. Yeah. You know, so he's, he's doing... still shocked they did it. But if you listen to the conversation about the book that he lent him, mm. and he's saying, I like the more action stuff, not this sort of highbrow... He is definitely gay in this film. Yeah. And there's also the um, the accusation that he supported the fascists many yep. years previously. And later on, when all the League of Gentlemen get together at Stanley Baker's house and they're do- dividing up the bedrooms where they're sleeping, he has to share a bunk with Richard Attenborough and Richard Attenborough makes a couple of comments that definitely allude to the fact that he's gay. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's one of the more interesting ones, even though he's not one of the major characters. No. He doesn't have a great deal to, to play in this, I think, here or but so far, I mean, each one of them is superb as an actor, as a character, yeah? Yeah, very good setup. And our final one, our final member of the league. Now, you must recognise Norman Bird. Yes, but for what I don't know. He was in everything. He was. <laughs> Norman, Norman Bird plays Weaver. Doesn't say a word no, in this introduction. Very miserable. Doesn't get a chance to say it. No. Though. Why not? Why doesn't he get a chance Doris to say it? Doris Hare. Doris Hare. Now, what was Doris Hare famous for, mate? On the buses. Played mum. She's on the buses. And Norman Bird leaves this miserable life where, obviously, he works hard all day because he's still sitting there in his suit and his tie and waiting for his tea. Was it like a little science lab set up he had in that room? I think it must be some sort of hobby he's got going. Yeah. It might be. But then again, he was the explosive expert, isn't yeah. he? I think. So he's probably sort of tinkering with electronics or something yeah. in there, you know. And he's got this 
hell of an existence, you know, where all he wants to do is relax when he comes home from work. And it's just noise and the telly and... Because he's sharing his house with his father-in-law, mm. who's been sort of doted on by Doris Eyre and no attention's being paid to poor old Norman Bird. Yeah. So that's the League. That's the League of Gentlemen. They've all been given invites to something. Something they're not too sure of. But they're all intrigued as to what it might be. So they all turn up. They all go to the Cafe Royal. And it's here that they meet Stanley Baker. Yeah. And he just gives them the briefest of sort of outlines as to what his plan is. And it's based on the book that he's given them all to read, which is The Golden Fleece. And he says to them, you know, it's it's a book about military precision. A group of um, military trained experts plan the perfect robbery. Yeah. And he would like to recreate that. Yeah. What do you think of it? And most of them don't think a lot of it. No. But they've actually read the plan to the robbery. And they think it's okay. They're not 100% committed. You know, they've never met this guy before. They don't know that he's serious about what he means, you know, what he's talking about. But then all of a sudden he starts revealing that he's been doing a lot of research. You know, he starts pointing out little bits about all of them. Yeah. Especially the Reverend, the Padre. Yes. And his background. Because he goes to leave and mm. uh, makes an example of him. Which is where we find out that he exposed himself in Tunbridge Wells. Yes. Um, Great place to expose himself. <laughs> so, I've done it many times. <laughs> how does it finish after that? He just says, we will meet again at... Yes. A time and place to be arranged or something. That's it, don't contact me, I'll contact you. Okay, and then we get the scene where he goes back to his... It's almost like a stately home Stanley Baker lives in. It's his very grand building with his Rolls Royce. And, and Ray you find out he's an old military officer, it's sort of typical of the time. Yeah, and, and Race goes back with him. Yes, follows him. Yeah, and it's here that... Race finds out how serious Stanley Baker is about doing this. Yeah. I'll tell you what's interesting about this as well. This is 1960. This year as well, um, Ocean's Eleven was released, the original, with Frank Sinatra. Right, okay. And that's about a heist that's planned by somebody with a military background as well. But this isn't quite Las Vegas, that's for sure. It's not, <laughs> it's not a great big, like, glitzy, colourful heist that... We, you know, we see in the original Ocean's Eleven movie, this is your British version of it, which I think I prefer, to be honest. We get to one of the most disturbing scenes in the film. It made me laugh. They go for a run-through in a rehearsal room in a theatre. And the two gay gentlemen... Well, let's use the vernacular of the time. Two poofs walk through the door. Yes. <laughs> one of them played by... I don't know. I didn't actually look. You didn't recognise no. who the lead was? No. Is Stanley Baker in this? No. Right. Ladies and gents, I've just rewound the DVD to the point where the two homosexuals walk in through the door. I'm just showing it to Tony. Who's the guy on the right? You're going to kick yourself when I tell you. I probably am, but I don't... I'm not sure if he... I don't know if he would be familiar to you. You're only like 23, so... That's Oliver Reed. Really? Not somebody you're too familiar with. I think... Um... Oliver Reed was probably more famous for being pissed. His last film was Gladiator, which you probably haven't watched either. No. <laughs> 
This is one of his very earliest roles. I mean, during the 60s, he, he, he was in the Hammer film, The Curse of the Werewolf, I think it was called. He was in Hannibal Brooks. He oh, was in Brooks, a couple yeah. of British kitchen sinky-type dramas. Three Musketeers, the former. Yeah, the <laughs> Richard Lester movies from the 70s. He was in those. You don't recognise him, do you? Did he? Was he Fagan? No, he's Bill Sykes out of Oliver. That's what you know him from. That's where I'm on Oliver. Yes. That's what you know him from. It's Bill Sykes out of Oliver. Oh, but no, I ain't got a fucking clue. But oh. Oliver. Yeah, no, I didn't even notice. Right, okay. While we were just searching for that clip, you just made a very good point about back at the stately home where Stanley Baker and um and Race are going up the stairs. And he noticed the portrait of Stanley Baker's wife. Stanley Baker? Is I say Stanley Baker? You've been saying Stanley Baker throughout most of it. Have I? Yeah, that's what they said. Is Stanley Baker in it? Is Jack Hawkins? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so Stanley Baker, everyone. Jack, Jack Hawkins. Jack Hawkins. That's his nickname. <laughs> Carry on. Anyway, <laughs> they're walking through, and Race, like you say, sees the portrait of his wife, and he says, "Oh, is that the wife?" Mm. And there's a to and from him about yeah. it. And then as he's walking upstairs, Hyde says, I gr- regret to say the bitch is still going strong. I regret to say the Which bitch I, is still going strong. At the time, I should think that was quite a sort of, ooh, a shock. This is what I'm gasp. saying. There's, there's lots in here to offend a lot of people. Yeah. You've got this homosexual bit here with Oliver Reed. You've got Nanette Newman sleeping around. You've got this woman that's keeping Brian Forbes as a toy boy. You know, there's lots of different... There's even a mention of the IRA coming up as well yes, in a minute. Yeah. yeah. So basically what happens after this, the, the guys all go back to Jack Hawkins's house. <laughs> I, I had to check out. myself then, yeah. Back to Jack Hawkins um, and sort of get billeted up in, in the various rooms. Um, Terence Alexander returns home to Nanette Newman, finds her in bed with another man and throws the 50 quid at her for the whore she is, basically. Yeah. Brilliant scene. Brilliant. I loved it when he done that. And we get the raid on the army barracks. Yeah. Now, when you watch the film as a whole, I think they spend too long on this bit and not enough on the bank raid. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I would have liked it to have been a little bit shorter at this point. Not that there's many faults with this film at all, you know, it's a great film, but if they could have made this a couple of minutes shorter and added a couple of minutes to the bank raid, I think that would have been so much better. Yeah, yeah, but I think, though, it's... You're right what you say, but it makes sense because you'd have taken longer in the barracks doing what they were doing and it was a yeah. lot more long-winded. The bank raid the had bank to be in and out. Was, yeah, it was in and out, wasn't it? It was back mm. diversion... Yeah. In, take it, all that hard work for a couple of minutes of raiding the bank. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, get, I'll see where you're coming from, mm. and I'll, I understand. I'll... But it's good. This this whole scene is really good, you know, the way they do it. Yeah, it was very good. The whole setup, I mean, what have you got? You've got, this is where the skills of all the, you know, the, where they had their trades as, you know, in the army mm. come to light. You know, Richard Attenborough. Bree me, straight up. Yeah. Tapping the phones. Exactly. So that was his, you know, speciality. You've got the guys, they're, they're sort of disguised as, you know, ranking officers and they're going in. Was it, what is the excuse? There's the been food. a complaint about the, the complaint food. Complaint about the food. 
<laughs> right, which sounds really vague, but... And one of the soldiers' lawyers had been in touch with them, and it's so, landed at his feet. So they're sending in the top brass... Yes, to, to test check, the food. To test the food. So that's the diversion. And the padre ends up being the... Um, brigadier. The general or the brigadier, yeah. or whatever it is, the brigadier, yeah. A lot of role reversal. It is, on. and it's very well done. You know, And, and he, he, he loves taking advantage of that as well. Well, he makes... Um, makes, the, um, makes Hyde eat the egg... Yes, Jack Hawkins eat the egg. <laughs> and race, uh, try the soup. <laughs> and you could just sort of see a little smile on him when he's doing it Yeah, as well. taking great pleasure in that. And a couple of really famous character actors here. We, we've got Norman Rossington and David Lodge as soldiers. Which two years previous, they were in Carry On Sergeant. Together? I, f- I don't know, they were together. But I know Norman Rossington, Rossington was in was, one, yeah. Because yeah. he played the soldier that was a bit dense. Mm. Kenneth Williams took under his wing. Ah, right. Yeah, he was in a couple of carry-ons, and then in about four years after this, he's got quite a major part in Hard Day's Night, the Beatles movie mm. as well. David Lodge. God, he acted right through to the 80s and the 90s. You know, he was in a lot of Spike Milligan stuff in the 80s as mm. well. Really good friends with Spike Milligan. The thing we need to mention at this point, during the raid, what they're doing, they're raiding an army barracks to get weapons and gas masks and all the... Kieran Moore, the quartermaster, knows exactly where they are, what they need. Yeah. It's all very well planned. All well planned. But what they do is they make the decision to use Irish accents. Yes. So if anyone was to cotton on to what was going on... Who would get the blame? The IRA. The IRA. Which now, was a relatively... Well, it was not new, but it was a relatively well, new threat to Britain at the time. Yeah, I mean, the IRA were apparently harmless enough for them to be used yeah. in, in this way to be parodied without any offence. But within like 10 years of this movie being made, you know, they'd re-emerge mm. in some of the most violent clashes since the Irish War of like the 1919, 1920, whenever it was. Mm. So just before that period of time when the terror element would kick in, that they could actually use the IRA as scapegoats for what they're doing. Yeah, very clever. Yeah. Very brave. Well, exactly, was it brave? That's what I mean. They weren't the force that they became. But listening to it with modern ears, you think, IRA? Oh, my God. Yeah. Quite shocking. But it was almost sort of, obviously, as a sort of a premonition, the fact that they knew they was going in there to steal automatic weapons and explosives and stuff. Mm. It's nothing that the IRA wasn't capable of. Probably wasn't doing anyway, exactly, yeah. 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 It's almost like it sort of a hit a nerve with someone it's happened. Yeah. You know, it's sort of <laughs> a relax track from it's something that's happened very somewhere. Very clever. It's mm. very clever. So they they're successful in stealing all the all the bits and pieces they need. Weapons, gas masks, you know. I can't think what else they took. It was mainly weapons and gas masks. And explosives. They took some explosives, yeah, because they need them later on. Um, and then they go about trying to steal a furniture van, which is the next bit. But they very, very nearly failed because the army because of the AA patrolman oh. who turned up on his motorbike. Because it actually turns out he clocks them, takes down their details, and then reports it, and he gets in the papers for it. Yeah. Yeah, the so um, that's one very near miss. But yeah. it's what they wanted to happen. They blame the IRA, but it's also a near miss. They could have been caught. Yeah, I mean, Norman Bird is just parked up waiting for the guys to come out with all the guns. Yeah, and the AA man goes past on his motorbike. 
an AA man wouldn't stop this in this day and age just because a car's parked. No, up, no, you'd have to be a member and yeah. Because yeah, he actually back... fixes it gratis, doesn't he? he yeah, just, but that's what they thought... did back then. That was the mobile patrols. Yeah, but then he did say, "Have you ever thought about becoming a member?" And he says, "No, I'm with the RAC." Yeah, they wouldn't do that, would they? I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> Different times. Different times. Yeah, it was. It was. They saluted as well, didn't they? Yeah. Back then, they had to salute. So the stealer, the furniture van. Has to go for the second furniture van because there's someone snogging in the first one. Yeah, again, almost nearly caught because of the police yeah. and the guy not having his lights on. So all these little silly slip-ups. Yeah, they come very close to getting caught throughout. The guy snogging in the furniture van is Nigel Green, who, again, about three, four years later, would be one of the major characters. I think he's the colour sergeant in Zulu. Oh. One of my favourite characters in Zulu. Brilliant actor, and he was also in the Ipcress file with Michael Caine and stuff mm. like that. And we get to the raid itself. Now, I love this because you watch modern day heist movies. Now, you probably don't watch modern day heist movies, me saying that. Things like Heat and Reservoir Dogs and all that. No. You don't, do you? That's no. not your cup of tea in the Shit. <laughs> not your cup of Pure tea in the slightest. Shit. But. For something for you to sort of associate it with, think of, say... Italian Job. The Italian Job or the Sweeney 10, yeah. 10 12, 15 years later. In fact, I, when I was watching this, there's a lot of inspiration from this in the Italian Job. When you look at it and you break it down... It's when the like, car goes into the back of the furniture van. car goes into the furniture van, yeah. you've got the armoured truck pulls up, Yeah. the guards, mm. they know when to strike, they've got the getaway cars ready. Yeah. And then... We we get to the end in a minute, but yeah. it ends very much like the Italian job, in a not way. in the same circumstances, no, but in a way, yeah. But they're both they're all still in limbo, which yeah. is and all I could see from that point of the raid onwards was Italian job. was the Italian job, see, and they're not spraying the furniture van. They spray the coach. Oh, they do. Of course, they do. Yeah, yeah. changing yeah. the number plates. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the all... gas masks when they've got in the Italian job the riot helmets and the batons. Exactly. You know, there's there's a lot, a lot of similarities. Yeah. So um, this was based on a novel, Italian Job. I think was an original screenplay, Troy Kennedy Martin. I think. Yeah, right yeah. But, but he obviously must have seen this to I think use some of the elements of it. So there's, there's a lot in common with it, a hell of a lot, and that's all I could see. That's the first thing I thought. And it was the first time I watched this film. Yeah. And I was like, this is so much like <laughs> the Italian Job. You've got the posh cars, like at the beginning of the Italian job, you've got the... The roller, yeah, but then you've got the E-type Jags in the Italian job, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. Lamborghini going round. Yeah. You know, it's so sort of similar. And again, Italian job, all them people are picked for their skills. The yeah. same in the League of the Gentlemen, they're all picked because of their skills. Yeah. It's just the Italian job, they're already in prison. Of course, <laughs> The yeah. majority of them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a very, very similar film. You do find there's a lot of these sort of crime capers in the 60s. You know, there's a lot of... Mm. It was a lot of spy movies based on the back of James Bond and a lot of sort of crime heist thriller comedies Yeah, seem to be quite popular as well. Like from, say, like The Pink Panther onwards, you know, because that was a crime comedy that then developed into more comedy than anything else. Yeah. You know? um, but lots of these sort of things, Top Carpy, Charade, I'm just trying to think, you know, there's lots of these British movies that are could could all lead back to this. Yeah. Could Centrinians, all. Centrinians, that sort of. Centrinians, yeah. well, that was before this, the well, first one. But, but again, that's... It's, <laughs> the great it's Centrinians. Centrinians. <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah, sort of, and also, <laughs> the um, sort of 
position and planning mm. of the great train robbery, which you tell a great story in the Rainbow Valley Podcast. Thank you very much. Well, that would be another two, three years later. Yeah, but it all sort of marries up for the time. Mm. And there's a lot of planning involved. Uh, this was the meticulous detail. Yeah, this was the golden age, the romantic period for those great real life bank robberies. Yeah. When you had the London gangs that would go round in the Mark II Jags. Exactly. With stocking masks and and coshes and, and just go in, sawn off shotguns, raid a bank, bugger off to Spain or whatever it may be, you know. And you've only got to watch some of these films, two or three of them, you notice a massive pattern. Yeah. Well, that's it's how so it was done, similar. though. Yeah. Because there was no CCTV, the fire alarm, the fire alarms, the, the burglar alarm type th- systems are easily sort of like overcomable. Yeah. Um, but at the time, quite technological that they yeah. got the system to the company and to the police station. Yeah, the security guards weren't armed. You know. Yeah. It was it was a day where you could, you know, an era where you could get away. Yeah. With just wads and wads of cash in those sort of circumstances. And I find it fascinating, that sort of period of history mm, anyway, I as do. you know. But yeah, perhaps you're right. Perhaps this was one of the inspirations for what would be like a major genre of movie throughout the 60s which is the crime caper yeah yeah like i said the thing i see in this the most is something we'll hopefully be reviewing soon but it's the italian job i just see yeah. so much of it in it yeah and that's the first thing that came into my head apart from anything else there's so much i probably missed from it as well is there as much comedy in this as the italian job no no there are some funny bits there's a couple of funny bits in this but yeah. i wouldn't say it's I think the fact that it's been sort of um, described as a comedy crime thriller, I wouldn't say it's a comedy at all. Crime thriller, yes, but there's no... The bit with Oliver Reed is designed as to be humorous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the bit with the dirty magazines in Basil Dearden's suitcase, again, would, would have raised a titter. There's little bits, I think. That... It's more situational stuff that it's, mm. it just sets the scene. Yeah. You know, the dirty mags helps the fact that he was kicked out of the army for exposure and yeah. stuff like that. And and the raid on the the army barracks is done sort of tongue-in-cheek, you know, because you know in real life that situation would never happen. No. You know, that the top brass would come down because there was a complaint about the food and all this. So you do know that it's sort of done... It's far-fetched. Winkingly, that. like knowingly, you know. Yeah. But I also sort of... So now the, the gay thing there, mm. the two gay guys... They're meant to be a YMCA as well, so it's sort of yeah, <laughs> a long-standing joke about the YMCA. As I said, there, there is a lot to offend a lot of people mm. in this movie. Hell of a lot. Um, whether you be Irish, homosexual, um, you know... The, a member of the IRA. You know, yeah, and there's you know him throwing the money at Nanette Newman. Yeah. You know, for, for sleeping with another man. Quite cutting edge for 1960. It's mm. just at the sort of like it's not quite the swinging 60s. We haven't got to that liberal part where anything goes yet. You know that's going to take a couple of years. Mm. But it's it's very near the knuckle though. Yeah, first time it's 15 years after the war. We're breaking away from that that whole war. Type. The rationing's finished and things are a bit more liberated now. And it's yeah. it's a marvelous period. You know, which is why you know I find the 60s so fascinating. Mm. Do we want to talk about the ending and give away, you know, what actually happens? <sighs> or shall we say to the listener, we, we're quickly going to talk about it, zip forward for the next three or four minutes, if you don't want to know how it ends? I think it's definitely one you need to watch. 
But once you watched it, yeah, you'll sit there and think, oh, actually, yeah, there was a few cock-ups throughout the journey. Yeah. Then you'll you'll suddenly go back to the start and you'll... I, it's my first time I ever watched it. I've not watched it again. I've watched it once and yeah, yeah. I could sit there and go back and go, actually, yeah, they did do that bit wrong. Yeah. That makes sense now. And yeah. They're not as professional as they think they are. Um, but it wasn't their fault. No, if you if you are still listening at this point, they do get caught. I think we've made that quite obviously. The yeah, conversation they, they, get they, they get caught, but it's how they get caught. How they which get is very caught. interesting. Yeah, but at the same time, I was a bit let down by the ending. Mm. It is like you say, similar to the Italian job. They got away with it. Yeah, they're there. The money's all divvied up while they're in the house. And I nearly said Stanley Baker's house again. Then while they're at Jack Hawkins' house, a guy turns up at the door. Bunny Warren. Yes. And again, comedic relief. You know, Bunny is this blustering old army pal, you know, and he's yeah. come in, he's getting pissed with them as they're celebrating, not realising what they're celebrating. And throughout it, I'm, as, as we find out that the police are waiting outside, I thought he was sent in deliberately by the police. Right. At one point. You know, I thought the police had put him in as a distraction. Yeah. Or as an undercover to find out what was going on. It turns out it was totally innocent. Yeah, he just happened to turn up. Yeah, wrong place, wrong time. And then there's a point as well where the police officer is on the phone at the end and he rings up Jack Hawkins and said, this is Detective Superintendent, blah, blah. I thought at first, I had to go back and check, that that was the same guy that brought the one-armed bandit to Richard Attenborough at the beginning. Yeah. Didn't he look like him at first without realising? You thought, oh my God. But it's not. No. Because then I thought, oh my God, have I missed something that this is all going right back to the beginning? This has all been set up. They just all look the same back then. Exactly. <laughs> Trilbies and trench coats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you were to give it a star rating out of five? I'd give it a five, actually. I nothing you could find fault with this at all? No, pretty not much. Not the time, no. It's your kind of movie, isn't it? It is very much my <laughs> kind of movie. I'm sort of... I didn't really because I didn't do any sort of homework into it beforehand. I didn't know what I was going to be watching. Yep. And like I said to you at the start, I thought it was a spy movie. Oh right, okay, yeah. Because I didn't even tell you what it was, did no. I? I didn't actually. No, give I you thought any it was a spy movie. The fact he's coming out, did a jacket. Yeah. Very sort of James Bondish. Yeah. He's coming out of a manhole cover. So you were pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. Then. Very much surprised. Yeah. Didn't know That's it was going to go that way. What I'm going to have to do is try and find some films that feature. Some of these other guys, these guys that Stanley Baker and that Stanley Baker, I'm going to have to do a Stanley <laughs> Baker film. Now. Why do I get Jack Hawkins? Because Jack Hawkins and Stanley Baker appeared in Zulu together and a couple of other movies. I don't know. I've always linked them together. I think. I don't know. <laughs> but things like um, I'm going to have to show you some early Oliver Reed stuff and some more Roger Livesey and Brian Forbes. You know, all of these guys have appeared in movies. I think you'd like. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have a little bit of a think of where we're going to go and what to introduce to you. So it's two for two with Basil Dearden. You know, we've had this one and the man who haunted himself. I think he's, he's proved to be a bloody great director. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing I've just suddenly thought. Yeah. Not only Bergerac for Terence Alexander. Go on. The Square Peg. Normal, Normal Wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah. There you go. Okay, that's the League of Gentlemen. We'll be back in just a second time with what we're watching next time. (laughs) 
Tony, um, what we're watching next time should be your choice. Yes. I've had a little chat with you. We're not going to let you choose. No, it's a special occasion. Special occasion. We've had an email. And totally my fault, we received this email back on New Year's Eve. And I only noticed it last week, going through the emails. Um, and It's, it's very, from... very busy, the post room. <laughs> it's come flooding yours. in, this email. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, everyone, there's more than one podcast here, so there's a lot going on. I can't thank this guy enough. Gavin, Gavin Roberts, hello, sir. Gavin has written. Um, I read this out to you the other night on the phone. And you were a bit impressed with this, weren't you? I was very much impressed and quite emotional as well. Okay. Hello, chaps. Greetings from West Sussex. Just wanted to say I've discovered your podcast over the Christmas break and have listened to all the episodes so far except the last Norman Wisdom episode. I live next door to Norman's daughter, Jackie. We dog walk together and I shall give her a listen. She's brilliant. Lots of fun, as you would imagine. It was great to hear your episode on the man who haunted himself, loved this film and rewatched it last week along with the abominable Dr. Fibes and Theatre of Blood, English early 70s film that just live in a vacuum but I rewatch every Christmas. Just brilliant. Do you know any of those films? The abominable Dr. Fibes, Dr. Fibes, Theatre of Blood? No. Um, Vincent Price, horror movies. Vincent Price I've heard of but not watched. Okay. But it is a name that brings a bell. Sort of... Not so much Hammer like Peter Cushion and Christopher Lee, but he was an American actor mm. that sort of early 70s went into these sort of campy horror type movies, which these both are. And I, I just loved the idea, Gavin, that the man who haunted himself, the abominable Dr. Phoebes and Theatre of Blood, your Christmas watches, that's just superb. Couple of things. If you don't know Smirsh Pod, John Rain's hilarious James Bond film review podcast, give it a listen. There's an episode on North Sea Hijack that is fucking hilarious. North Sea Hijack, Roger Moore movie, we will be doing. Right. Coming up very soon. Did you know how Basil Dearden met his demise? No. Basil Dearden met his demise on the M4 after directing The Man Who Haunted Himself. Oh. Died in a car crash. Oh, no. So, similar to Roger Moore in The Man Who Haunted Himself. Very weird and prescient, says Gavin. Um, Gavin finishes off here. A film tip. I'm lucky that I get to see new films months before they're released. This is very good. If you get the chance to go and see Three three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, it's dark, very funny, moving, and just refreshingly different. I saw Three Billboards. It is my favourite of the Oscar contenders so far. Absolute cracking film. Gavin finishes off with Happy New Year, gentlemen. See, this is how far behind we are. Happy New Year, Gavin. <laughs> left you a nice review on iTunes, which he did. He left us a five-star review Thank on you. iTunes. Thank you very, very much. generous. Very, very generous. Uh, chin Chin Gavin Roberts. Oh. So I replied to Gavin. Yes. And in the email, without going into too many details, I apologise for being a complete git and taking like six weeks to get back to him. Um, and thanked him for his kind words. And was just fascinated by the fact that he knows Norman Wisdom's daughter, Jackie. Mm. And I said, please pass on our regards. We'd love to know if she's listened to the show. So we receive another email from Gavin. Thank you, Gavin. Two emails. <laughs> You're now regular on the show. <laughs> Gavin is our only correspondent. Yeah. <laughs> this could be a feature, Gavin. Let's paste these out a bit. <laughs> <laughs> No apology needed. How you guys find the time to produce a podcast baffles me. 
I know it takes a lot of work. I'd love to do it myself, but never had the courage. Takes me a lot of work, Gavin. Yes. Tony just sits there and talks. I do. <laughs> and I do feel terrible for it. No. Scott does a lovely job. I, I enjoy the editing side of things to a certain degree. And I can't do the editing because no, I haven't got a clue. No. And Gavin goes on that he's not a particular fan of Vincent Price. He loves Doctor Thieves. Theatre of Blood was purely because of Diana Rigg. It was his favourite Bond girl. No. Um, not the... Oh, sorry. Yeah, my favourite Bond girl from the best James Bond film ever made. You said something about On a Majesty's Secret Service in the Doctor No episode, saying it's a particular favourite of yours. It is. Yeah. Um, and he loves Diana Rigg and he loves The Avengers. I have indeed played Jackie Wisdom, your podcast, The Troubling Store episode, and she loved it. Found it very entertaining. I shall pass on your regards. She's lovely and has given me and my wife an incredible insight over many a glass of wine what it was like to have Norman Wisdom as a father throughout the 50s and the 60s. She has some astonishing photographs hanging on the walls in her house. My favourite being one of her as a three-year-old being held by Oliver Hardy. How mad is that? Yeah. I think it was at this point when you were telling me on the phone because you rung me so excited. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, it was at this point... You run me quite excited, and once you'd actually told me, I actually had goose pimples. Yeah. It's a bit special, isn't it? It's very special. Yeah. And hence why it's a bit emotional as well. <laughs> I'm sure Jackie Wisdom doesn't see it as that. <laughs> no, the, the, but two, my two connection... sitting in their front room talking about her dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my connection to Norman Wisdom is obviously through me nan. And so yeah, it means it, quite a bit to you, actually. It, it? it means a lot to yeah. me, Norman Wisdom. And obviously, sadly, I'm never going to have the opportunity to meet Norman no, himself. No, but it's nice that, you know... The, the, it's nice to know that the daughter of Norman Wisdom approves of what we've done. That's good. I think we've done a good job. Nah, and I hope everyone else thinks the same as well. Yeah. Jackie, again, if you are still listening, not you know, to this episode as well as the one about your father, we, we'd love to hear a bit of feedback and possibly some memories. It'd be lovely. Gavin carries on with this email. And this is where the choice of the next movie comes in. So you don't know what I don't know what happened after this bit, no. Gavin has mentioned the movie just coming up now. And I replied to this email saying, fantastic, what we'll do. Thanks for your emails. We are going to review this movie as a thank you Mm. for him. Okay. At least we can do. There we go. A British film that I would love to hear you discuss. I have an oddity. Got some cream for that somewhere, Gavin. <laughs> um, 1972. Oh. Sleuth. Okay. Based on Anthony Schaffer's play, directed by Joseph L. Mankovich, starring Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier. Oh. A whodunit, a howdunit. I absolutely love this film. It feels so very English. A country house murder conundrum, a game of wits largely ignored but criminally remade with Kane and Jude Law in 2007, which was utter bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> and I fully agree with that, Gavin, mate. Um, you don't know nothing about this film? No. Right. Lawrence Olivier, my only um, sort of um, brush with him was with the war programme he did. World at War. World at War. Okay. He was the narrator... I've heard of Michael Caine. Of course you have. Of course you have. Um, Right. Nice fella. What I'm going to suggest is please don't look on IMDb or anything. I've got a copy of the film here for you. There is no homework going into this until I've watched it. I want you to watch this cold. Yes. Okay, it's based on a play, so there's not many people in it. There's only about four or five characters in this film. Which is great for me, because there might be a fucking chance I'll understand some of the names for a change. Excellent. That's what I want to hear. I've seen this film many times. I'm not shocked by this. 
<laughs> no matter, I've tried my hardest to come up with some real peculiar ones, and you've watched them and you've got them. Sorry. <laughs> so, Sleuth will be our next movie. As I say, please go in cold with this one. Going in dry. Going in dry. Brace yourself, madam. Um, <laughs> Gavin finishes off with what about a classic Paolo Pressburger film from the 40s? The Unequaled and Beautiful, A Matter of Life and Death. Massive great film that we have got to review. It is A Matter of Life and Death, David Niven. Roger Lives is in that as well, that was the padre in, in this. So many films, so little time. Keep up the good work, chaps. Best regards, Gavin. And there's a couple of others that are sort of bouncing backwards and forwards. You know, I've replied to that one. Stanley Baker Appreciation Club, they've um, messaged us a few. I need to do a Stanley Baker movie quick to redeem myself. I feel sorry for poor old Jack Hawkins. You know, it's like... um, yeah, very quickly, Gavin has, has, has replied again to, you know, blimey sleuth, I can't believe I've picked the film to re- be reviewed on a podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> so there it's confirmed mate it's out in the airwaves now we are reviewing Sleuth as our next movie um, and he's also listened to some of the Stinking Paws episodes which he didn't realise I was part of and he listens to the Rainbow Valley podcast and he's listening to the Great Train Robbery one which we just mentioned oh good as well Michael Powell of Powell and Pressburger fame did a film called Peeping Tom right same year as Psycho British sort of psychological murder mystery thing um and Gavin says, last time I saw it was at a screening at the Duke of York Cinema in Brighton, which is his local cinema. Mm. Gavin, my nephew, is the manager of that cinema, <laughs> which you probably didn't know either. No, I didn't know. Yeah, oh. yeah my, my nephew is manager of that down there in Brighton. Um, keep up the sterling work. Best regards, Gavin. Gavin, thank you so much for taking the time to get in touch. You are our only correspondent so yes. far. We haven't even had feedback from family with regards to this no. particular show. Which is okay, it's fine. It's nice to know we've sort of made it as far as West Sussex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the dim and distant shores of <laughs> West Sussex. Yeah. An hour away in the car, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just about wraps it up for today. Yes. Tony, thank you for spending Sunday morning in the Balaban Sound Studio with me. Thank you for having me. Um, our next show, we might be on a road trip to um, West Sussex. We may do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time for Sloth, mate. Yes, can't wait. Cheers. See you later. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you.
Is Stanley Baker in this? No. Keeping the British hand up, sir.